Welcome to the Toka Backstage Podcast. Join Toka's Executive Director, Chris Wolf, in conversations with the artists and people behind the scenes of the Torrance Cultural Arts Foundation's performances and events. Hi, this is Chris Wolf, the Executive Director of the Torrance Cultural Arts Foundation. Welcome to another edition of Toka Backstage. Today, it was my great pleasure to speak with Sam Wills, also known as Tape Face. Uh, we had a little bit of a glitch uh, with our connection, but thankfully we, we got a, a full interview out of it. And um, here it is now, take a listen. Um, thanks for joining me today. I'm, it's my extreme honor to be speaking with Sam Wills, also known as Tape Face. Uh, Sam, thank you so much for taking the time. I really do appreciate it. No problem, happy to be here. Um, so people, I, I have, I have questions. Um, the <laughs> first, questions yeah. <laughs> the first thing I think people, when they first meet you is he doesn't sound like I thought he would. So you're obviously yeah. not from here. Um, you're from, I'm from New Zealand. So, but, but I've lived in the UK for over 10 years. So I've got a weird mashup, a little bit of an English accent with a New Zealand accent. But for some reason, a lot of people think I'm French <laughs> because of the stripe. Oh, the that, there you go, the stripes. Yeah, all you need is a beret and then it'll seal the deal. Yeah, no, a, ring, a ring of garlic, it'll be sorted. <laughs> um, so forgive me for asking these questions that probably you've answered a million times, but the, the character of Tape Face, where did he come from? He sort of evolved because I used to do another show where I talked too much. So my old style of comedy, like I got into performing through uh, at a very young age, I, I sort of stalked a clown in my small town of New Zealand. We had one professional clown working and I followed this guy around watching his shows over and over and over till eventually I found out where he lived. And I went to his house and I knocked on his door and asked if I could be in his show. And so he was kind, he was kind enough to put me in his show. So that was at the age of 12. And so from there, he taught me various circus skills. I found out that there was a circus school that I could go to. So my parents were really cool about it. They let me drop out of school and go to a circus school. And so from there, I learned street performing and then moved into comedy. And, and I've always done physical prop-based comedy. And uh, I was lucky enough in 2005 to win something called the Billy T. James Award, which at the time in New Zealand was the, the biggest comedy award you could possibly win. And since winning that, everyone expected me to do more shows where I talked more and did that sort of thing. So I decided to challenge myself and come up with a silent character just to, to prove everyone wrong <laughs> that I could shut up for five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, and that's how Tape Face was born? Essentially, it was a five minute sketch. It was just one idea that, that I just wanted to do just to try it out and it worked quite well. I, this is the thing, I, back in New Zealand, I already had quite a successful career touring, doing shows, doing all sorts of stuff, wonderful bits and pieces. And then this tape face thing sort of just popped up and just carried on evolving until eventually it really took over the style of performing for me. Now, I've, I've noticed, uh, um... I have to I have to tell you one of the best photographs I've ever seen on social media is the one of you taking pictures of two ladies standing in front of a tape face uh, <laughs> display and they have no clue who is taking the picture. 
no idea who I was. That photo went viral on Reddit with everyone thinking it was all staged and all sorts of things and bits and bobs. But yeah, those two ladies had no clue. I'd literally finished a show that night. I was leaving the venue, walking out of the venue, and the two ladies stopped me to ask if I could take a photo of them with the, the gigantic cardboard cutout that we have out front. I was more than happy to oblige. I took the photo for them. My girlfriend, ma'am, she was very kind. She was like, go really slow. So I was really <laughs> slowly moving to make sure that we could get a decent photo of that opportunity. And we found it so funny. It was really, really good. So I, I imagine like most Vegas performers, they do a gig and then they walk out and then it's like, oh, hey, it's so-and-so. You don't get that. People don't know it's you. I don't get that at all with the being noticed or recognized. I always think of performers like Carrot Top. It's like there's no way he can ever hide being Carrot Top. And, and so there's a certain amount for me where I can take the makeup off, I can put a hat on, nobody knows who I am, which is great. And, and the other thing I've, I've found interesting, again, thanks to social media, is Tapeface is a character. But yes. when, when, when you tried to replicate the character to do other shows internationally, you got a lot of blowback from people, right? We did initially a lot of, and funnily enough, it wasn't the hardcore fans. The hardcore fans were pretty supportive of it, which was quite cool because they could they could understand why I was doing it and why it was always part of the plan. And that was the thing; it was always part of the plan was to grow the show to have multiple tape faces in different countries doing their thing. But yeah, we we did cop a, a lot of flack with people saying that they wanted to see the tape face from America's Got Talent. But the thing was that what the, the way it really came about was. I saw somebody doing my act. I got sent a video of a guy doing my act and it was awful. It was brilliantly bad. He had a long ponytail, his tape, his tape kept falling off. He had done everything slightly wrong, but he had also managed to do enough stuff right that the audience were still enjoying it and they were still clapping and cheering at all the right moments. So when I saw this video, I thought to myself, I wonder what would happen if I, if I could train somebody to do it correctly, to do absolutely every move possible. And, and it works. So we've had people who have seen T2, that we nicknamed him T2, uh, and, and they've thought he's been me because he's done the show that identical. That's pretty spot on. And, and are, they, are they performing now or has COVID sort of stopped that? COVID stopped that. We did have three at one point. We sent one, our third tape base, we sent them off to Australia uh, and then I was away in Paris during a season there while we left our second tape base here in Vegas. So at one point we were performing on three continents. Due to COVID, we've had to lose our third tape base because we've obviously run out of work. We kept our second tape base on, but the show during COVID in the early days, we, uh, we rewrote and we put him in as a different role. But now he's just coming back to training up because he'll be taking over the Vegas season for when I go away on tour. Why do you... To me, it's almost like Blue Man Group. It's like you when you go see Blue Man Group, you go see the show. You don't go to Absolutely. see Bob the Blue Man. Yeah, yeah. Bob the Blue Man is not the draw card. <laughs> A lot so, of people think, though, that because I was the one on America's Got Talent, that that was the thing. But for me, America's Got Talent was very much just a platform to, to showcase the show. It was a one giant advert for me. And, and it worked brilliantly because, yeah, I mean, did you expect to end up in Vegas after the show? I mean, because that's supposedly the big selling point of AGT is, you, is. Get, 
we were already in discussions with some producers about bringing the show to Vegas before going on America's Got Talent. So they had seen my show in, in the UK and seen what it was doing over there. And they were interested in seeing if it would work with the American market. And then it, it was another reason why I chose to go on America's Got Talent was just to boost that profile even more. And then that would help justify with the producers to bring the show over. And can I just say, uh, as an aside, personally, I think... I mean, besides being an extremely creative performer, you are a genuinely um, brilliant businessman. No, oh, thank you. I think <laughs> the hustle side of it, I really enjoy. I think that comes from being a street performer because you've got to see the opportunities and go, right, how do I get A to B to C to D? Yeah, because most people, I mean, it's it, a lot of a lot of performers, they, they do their thing and then it's kind of like, okay, this is all I can do. I mean, it's like, I know yeah. I, I met this guy who does um, a tribute act to a famous musician. And I, I interviewed him, you know, before he came to our venue. And I was like, so what, what other kind of music do you do? He goes, this is it. This is all I've That's ever wanted awesome. to do. And yeah. I, I was like, okay. <laughs> but, but for you, it's like, you've, you've done the street performing, you've done television, you've done Vegas what's what's on the horizon for you um i'm i think later on I, i'm interested in doing some writing of some sort i think i'd really be interested in doing a kid's book at some point i think that'd be quite a fun little hobby i'm also interested in um seeing what else i can do with tape face where else i can evolve that it'd be fun to see if i can evolve that into i've never done tape face in a narrative point of view it's always been sketches and, and that sort of thing, but to do an entire show, which is just completely narrative driven would be quite fun. And, and it's so funny you say that because I always thought, you know, when I was first heard about the tape base as a character and, and this, the other tape bases, it would be fun, fun to do like a, a kid's book and an animated series. I mean, tape base really could oh. be, I mean, it's the, the world is your oyster. Absolutely. It was one of the reasons, again, when thinking about the character of developing this, this idea, once, once I'd seen that it had started working, I started to realize that it was really an international market, like it suits everywhere, which, which works a treat. The other thing that I noticed, and I think this was something as I got older, I originally, when I was, you know, much younger developing the character and performing shows, I was convinced that I wanted to do the show in comedy clubs for like a 30 year old drunk audience. And that was my target demographic. That's all I wanted to perform for because I thought that they were the best reactions. But then as I got more and more into it, I realized this is a fairly accessible show for everyone. So <laughs> we should really just make it open for everyone to come and see it. <laughs> and and that, that actually is a good a question is that, because Tape Face, I mean, it's in Vegas and people hear Vegas show, they automatically assume it's like, not for family, but Tape Face yeah. is for everybody, right? Tape Face is absolutely a show for everybody. We've got it very much runs on the two levels. We keep enough humor in there for the adults to keep busy, and then the the kids, some so like the children. Well, I'm talking about kids. I'm talking about like nine and up kind of thing. So they can occasionally pick up a few of the pop culture references, but a lot of the time, some things just go over their heads, but they're still enjoying it. Now, as a prof I, I was fortunate enough to. Uh, go see your show in Vegas and I, I encourage people if they can't make it to Torrance go to Vegas it's a great show Vegas. and and I, I have to commend you because you did get my wife on stage to do something with you and 
she was adamantly, when we went in, she was like, I don't want to go on stage. I don't want to go on stage. I'm curious when people are up there, what, how do you get them to do what you want them to do? There's a certain amount of social pressure that happens when they're up on stage in front of an audience. People will just play along. I think also because when I've got people up on stage, the tasks I'm giving them are very simple. So that way they succeed. I, I want the audience to succeed because if they don't succeed, then I look awful. <laughs> so, so if the audience member leaves the stage the hero, then I've done my job. So, so a lot of people, and also when I'm choosing volunteers, I have a tendency to, to point and click at them. And then I just turn my back and, and walk towards the stage. So I don't really give them the opportunity to say no. And obviously with the tape on my face, there's no discussion. <laughs> True, it would, be, it would be a short argument. Um, ha, what, has there been any like weird instance? I, I assume in Vegas- Oh, absolutely. I did one show where I remember I used to do a routine where I would blindfold somebody on stage and do a, a very small trick next to them. So that way everyone in the room was, all the, the concentration was on the small trick and this one person never got to see it. The one guy, when I blindfolded him, he just quietly whispered to me, are you going to set me on fire? And it was like, wow, he genuinely thought I was going to set him on fire in front of an audience. It was brilliant. And it really did. It made me laugh. It made me laugh on stage. It was great. Do you ever, do you ever have to mumble some, to somebody or can you not say anything on stage? <laughs> I can occasionally make a few noises, but it's pretty well sealed up. So a lot of people think that I keep a little gap there for breathing, but I genuinely seal my mouth up pretty solidly through that tape. And it's a pretty tough, tough tape I use. I only use one brand of tape, Mashua 357, and it's the most industrial gaffer tape I've ever found in my life. <laughs> and I am assuming you buy them by, buy that by the case? Yeah, we buy a lot of tape. We get a lot of tape. <laughs> there's always there's always a roll of tape within arm's reach normally. And do you do you have issue with people calling you a mime? Um, we 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 try and avoid the M word <laughs> because there's some really good mimes out there. And because I'm still I still use props, I'm still physically using objects and still using music and whatnot. So technically, I would be considered a clown. But, but audiences don't want to see a clown show. So that's why we just say it's a comedy show. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting. It's the same as having a red nose, except it's just slipped down and become a bit of tape. That's all it is. Well, it's interesting too, because I guess the, the actual definition of mime isn't the, the obnoxious white face guy oh. following people. It's, it, I mean, it's, it, I mean, there's more to it than that, but unfortunately, back in the 70s and 80s, that became sort of the, the norm, and that's what yeah, that's the typecast. That's exactly what people think of, and they go, "I don't want to see a mime show." And yeah. it's, it's it's a weird image. Um, so, you're growing up was your your mentor was a a, a local clown. Do, yeah, are, are there any other inspirations that you draw from? 
Um, I'm trying to think. I only a lot of people think that I must love silent comedy, but I only got into watching silent films after developing the show. Uh, and then when I started to watch quite a lot of it, I I, I watched quite a lot of Charlie Chaplin. I was a lot of people think I'm a really big Charlie Chaplin fan. I'm not the biggest. I don't really go for what he did. I really love Buster Keaton. Yeah. I think Buster Keaton was he's the closest that I feel just with that no expression letting say he just lets the audience read so much into what he's doing and his physicality is phenomenal he's great he's so so good so i definitely say there's inspiration from there and then the other inspiration comes from things like old cartoons like wiley coyote and roadrunner i'd love it if acme existed where i could buy these contraptions i remember i built a uh, built a plunger a crossbow that could shoot a plunger 20 feet and it was very Wiley Coyote with this idea that I would be able to somehow hit a piece of toast. And it never worked, but it was just one of those kind of inspirational moments of that's exactly what Wiley Coyote would build as a plunger shooting crossbow. <laughs> and, and I could actually see you uh, pulling that thing prop out just to and pretend like you're going to use it and have somebody freak out that you're going to shoot him with a plunger. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're... Um, in the past, you you had a comedy duo. Um, how, yeah. how did that was that sort of the beginning of your comedy process? I've had a couple of comedy duos. I, I've sort of done uh, uh, every aspect of comedy, from improvisation to stand up to sketch comedy to, to every bits and pieces. So I worked with um, my my. I was living with a guy, Morgan Williams, and we had a double act that we did, and that came out of sheer boredom of living together. So it was just one of those things where he was a bit of a comedian. I was doing my stuff at the time and we just started to write some silly sketches and jokes. And then we started performing them at late shows. So we never really did mainstream comedy. We were very much an alternative late night comedy act where we would do weird, disgusting circus sideshow tricks together, like putting balloons up noses and out mouths and tying them together and running like a clothesline between our heads, that type of thing. So that was a fairly disgusting act. And then I had another double act. I had another double act with a, a woman called Ruth Spencer, and we called ourselves Wills and Spencer. And that show ran for a good five, six years. We, we did that double act, and we actually we performed in a casino in New Zealand. We had a residency there for four years. Do you, do you miss the, uh, the street performer? Oh, absolutely. I, I really, there's a, it's a simple time being a street performer and I never realized it, how good it was. Uh, there's something really nice about just going out with the show and the transaction being so beautifully simple where you gather the crowd, you do the show, you ask for the money and that's it. <laughs> I always feel like street performers are the last of the pirates uh, just right. sort of doing their thing. But the, but the more we're coming down to a, a cashless society, it's becoming harder and harder for street performers to, to keep finding ways to, to get that crowd cash. But no, the actual performing side of street performing, yeah, I absolutely I do miss it. There's something about that energy, which is so different from Take Face. It's such a, a teenage boy yelling at an audience. Yeah, I really enjoy that. Um, and and you did some, you did sideshow stuff what was the attraction there? Um, I think it was always the, I, I had a friend called Hefty Jeff, who was a, he was a bit of a freak show performer, street performer. And I, I worked with him a lot on the streets. 
And so because we hung out a lot together, he taught me a few tricks here and there. And then I started to become fascinated with the way that you can, the human body, like what you can do with the human body as a trick that the audience aren't aware of. So learning things like the human blockhead of hammering nails up my nose and things like that. I tried to learn sword swallowing, but I gave up after three attempts because I just went, no, this is too disgusting. I don't want to do it. A lot of people think that it's real, but it's uh, that it's fake, but it is genuinely real. Every morning trying to push a coat hanger down my throat, it was like, no, I can't commit to this. No. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I think it was a fascination of the oddities and seeing shows like back in the day, I was watching Jim Rose Circus and that sort of thing. And there was a, a crazy act from Japan called the Tokyo Shock Boys. And they, they were real masters of the, the shock, those shock moments. And again, I, I was fascinated with the idea of showing an audience something absolutely disgusting, but finding a way to make them laugh throughout it. So that way they could keep watching it. <laughs> and uh, did, did you ever like, because it's almost like it's all variety arts, you know, mime or clowning <laughs> and, and sideshow stuff. Did you ever like, think about going in the magic route or is that just not, not your yeah I, I i sort of i sort of started out knowing magic when i was about 12 years old that was what got me to meet the clown and in, in the original thing I, I sort of was doing these magic tricks and then when i i auditioned myself on his doorstep well, with a little suitcase and i opened it up and i just showed him trick after trick after trick until he eventually said I could be in a show. I've always thought magic would be, again, it would be fun to go back to magic at some point with a, a, a little mentalism show. I've thought about putting some magic into tape face, but at the same time, I don't want to put actually trickery into the show. I quite like it being quite pure in that sense. What, what do you think is the appeal to tape face? I mean, because really, it's, I, I mean, from, from a from my perspective, when I first saw you on America's Got Talent, it was like, okay, here's another Joker who's going to do something stupid and uh -huh. get buzzed off. But yeah, within like two minutes, I was like, okay, this guy is genuinely good and and creative. Yeah, when I walked out, the judges' expressions really said it all. They had it's like one of those moments where it's like they've seen enough of these acts. Yeah, right. it's another one of these and doing their thing. But but I think with the appeal with tape face is that it's intriguing. It's like, how can this person do a show for, you know, however long and keep it entertaining? What's how does that work? And and now that that video went viral, it's been quite handy for me because it gives people that small little taste of what the show can be. And then they come and see the show and they see, yeah, I'm still doing some of the greatest hits from America's Got Talent, but they see other stuff that I know is not online. So there's some real surprises for them. But, but it, I mean, I, I think it's more than just seeing the guy out from America's Got Talent. I think Tape Face has an allure to people that, I mean, it's, it's creative, it's different, but he's like, he's charming. Is it also because that there's there, there's an outcast appeal? There's the, the, the underdog. I've always thought of Tapeface being the, even though he's the one who's outcast from society because he can't talk, he's the only one in the show who knows what's going on. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. So there's that weird, weird moment where he's got to explain to the audience and it just becomes a game of help, of who can help each other to solve the problem to win the game. Well, and I guess that goes back to, because I, I mean, I, it, to me, it was always intriguing. Here's a guy doing this great show 
uh, this character doing this show, but I was I always was fascinated by what was the backstory of this character. And but I think you're right. I think people see it and it's kind of like they they're rooting for him and they're rooting for the the person you bring up on stage because they want it's oh, like they want everyone to succeed. Yeah, everyone has to succeed. And again, they're rooting for that person on stage because it's also not them. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Well, and the other thing too that I found sort of uh, intriguing about you as a performer is that you've you've really committed to. I mean, you understand that tape base is just a character. So, like, I've noticed that when you do shots um, online or something, you're always got your mouth covered. Yeah. yeah. So people know that it's tape base, and your eyes yeah. and your hair. Yeah, I've always done that whenever I've sort of gone out and about and for events and promotional stuff. It's just, I, I, I thought about originally carrying a, a bit of tape with me so I could always pop it on, but that genuinely just became too annoying. So it was like, it was easier to just cover up that and, and that became the kind of look. And then I said, then it was quite good for photos because other people could easily do that as well. Yeah. So it meant that I could get photos, oh, get photos with large groups of people and just go, right, everyone cover your mouth. Cool, we're all tape based, we're all done. So with COVID, are you um, you're you're back open, right? I mean, how long were you shut down? We were shut down for what March, March till November. We opened very early. We opened in November eleventh. So we rewrote a whole show, a COVID show that had zero audience interaction and maintained a distance of twenty five feet. And also, we we just followed all of the rules of COVID. And then I would just rewrite the show as the rules changed and as things happened and then as things evolved. So as and then the first the, the first challenge that we had to overcome was um the we had to have twenty five feet between the performance and the audience. And that twenty five feet of nothingness was quite challenging. So, so I built an audience out of mannequins and we put them in the, in the, in the front section. So we had a hundred fake bodies and then the rest of the audience could come in and sit behind them. And psychologically it worked really well. There's something really comforting about looking forwards and seeing the backs of people's heads. Yeah. <laughs> so it and certainly helped with the show. Are you, when I saw you, you were in a, in a small space, I guess it was the house of tape um, you've moved to a, a bigger venue? Yeah, we moved upstairs to the main Harrods showroom, which seats 500. So again, for social distancing, we we're able to keep people safe and spread out. Um, and then as, as it evolved, we were able to increase the numbers slowly but surely. But now we've just moved again downstairs to the cabaret room, the Harris Cabaret, because what happened was during the, the shows upstairs, our numbers started to increase. We started to get more and more people coming along to see the show. And so we sort of outgrew the house of tape. So we had a chance, they offered us if we wanted to move downstairs to the 330 seater Harris Cabaret. And we were like, yeah, we'd love to do that. So we just set up shop down there and that's where we're gonna be based for the next few Nice. Okay, so um, we're, we're excited to have you coming out in October. Um, it's been a while since we've, uh, we're just now getting ready to start doing live performances again. You're actually opening up our season. And I don't know if you're awesome. Management told you, but you're also the cover of our season brochure. Saw that. Thank you very much. Very excited. Um, so, uh, thank you again for taking the time. Um, I look forward to seeing you um, come October. Can't wait to be there. Three. Three.